Fox logo. Remember we tried something they wouldn't let us do on the Fox yeah, logo? Yeah, it was a Predator Right around here, right here, it went to Predator Vision. Right there. And yep. then the sound was muffled, and it was blue and green and red. And we thought it'd be cool, but because... It, then right then they put up their 75th anniversary and we knew, oh, they're not going to let us do it. They weren't going to allow it. And they, they said, it's very cool, but yeah, we can't do that. And actually, yeah, nice, fancy, new Troublemaker logo. So we're going to jump right into the movie. We're going to talk about a lot of things. I'm Robert Rodriguez. This is my compadre. Hey, I'm Nimrod Antal. And boom, here we go. Free fall. Cut to the free fall. Let's explain this free fall because people wonder... They think it's a great opening for the movie. It wasn't originally the opening. Yeah, we had a, uh, I think there was an introduction for Royce's character initially, and uh, we were going to get a little insight into his character. Mm -hmm. We had him starting off showing what he does, who he is, get a sense of him to pay off later in the movie, and there would be a flash of light. He would have just taken someone out being a predator himself, and then he's taken by a predator. You don't see the predator. You just see a flash of light, and then... He wakes up in a free fall. Yeah, but I think it was through our conversations we realized that this what a m much more dynamic way to start the film was uh, just bang, free fall, almost yeah. this horrific nightmare coming true. Everyone who read, well, and everyone, there was so few of us actually read. We didn't pass the script around to very many people. Drew Cavello over at Fox and, and uh, ourselves and the writers, we all just sort of looked at this and said, that's, the, that's when the movie really starts. I wonder if we could get away with just dropping him. And... It started feeling more and more like this was going to be a two-act movie because mm. we, we kind of got rid of, there were no character introductions really into their previous life. Normally, them hitting the planet would probably be act two of a regular movie, but we were starting almost in act two. I remember we thought, that's kind of a tricky, when you try to mess around with a three-act structure, it doesn't usually work out. You know, people are kind of used to a formula, but I know that was one of the things that attracted me to your vision of the movie was you wanted to hit the ground running and keep that relentless pace. And I never told you this, but as you were ex describing that, I would be like, I wonder if we could sustain that for a whole movie. <laughs> but I knew you wanted to try it, and I thought it would be worth trying. And, man, you really pulled it off. It, it really flies, and the movie just it hits the ground running. It doesn't stop until, you know, as you'll see later, the breath that happens with, uh, with the Fishburne's character. But no, it's just it's just nonstop, and it, it's a people that I've talked to already who've seen it love that that pace and love that thing about it, love that about this movie. So that thing, hats off to you, man. Thank you, brother. Well, you know, it was uh, you giving me the chance, man, and it was just so much fun being able to run with it and and uh, see it come to fruition the way it did. So, I wanted just to say something about the earlier scene, the free fall. Uh -huh. uh, Jeff Dashnell, our stunt coordinator, came uh -huh. in with this awesome idea early on about incorporating actual live uh, images, uh, uh, rather uh, real footage of, of free-falling yeah. um, with our actor on the, on the green screen and, and the, the, the marriage of those images. And I just thought it really added this, this, this energy that we wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Yeah, and this is great because people are just settling down with their popcorn and then someone's falling from the sky <laughs> and hitting the ground hard. And, yeah. uh, there was a few other bodies, I think, in the original script that we had hitting the ground here. I think Danny actually uh, called at one point and said, uh, hey, I read that there was this character that looks like Danny Trejo, and hey, guys, I look just like Danny Trejo. <laughs> <laughs> how that happened was, um, uh, we'll get into how I'd written an original script for this back in 95, but uh, it had Arnold throughout the whole script, so we had to update it, and um, 
I was working on Machete at the time, I brought in uh, a couple of writers, you know, Mike and Alex, to come in and write this draft. And they wrote this character in because they loved Machete. You loved Machete. You wanted Machete in the movie, oh, too. Oh, man, come yeah. on. I mean, Danny Trejo is someone who I, I grew up watching. And, and if you if you ever have a chance to work with greatness... This is Trejo. This is Trejo's the man. So, but I was at the point where I had already just put him in so many movies and he was in Machete. I said, I can't make it that easy for him where we just hand him the role. Now, here's Adrian Brody being badass. This was a great casting choice, I think, by our part. I mean, it was one of those things where, and people ask why we did it. And I think when, now that they see it, they can see why. But um, it's just, I mean, the way I've explained it to people is it, it was the same with when I cast Antonio and and uh, not or, having done George action, Clooney, George Clooney, never having done a role like that. It's just when you're looking at, at that list of actors, and we went through that on this, of people that would play this role, you've just seen them do it so much before. I mean, it becomes a joke when you go to the movie to, like, to come see this movie and you see a trailer before it with that same actor in a trailer being the same part in another movie, <laughs> that uh, you wanted somebody new, fresh. Yeah, what's great about Adrian is you get the best of both worlds and that you've never seen him do this role, so you feel like you're discovering a new actor, yet he's got the experience of somebody who's got an Oscar already. Oh, my goodness. And who's got this, you know, raises the level of acting throughout the movie for everybody, raises up to that level. And um, and so you get the best of both worlds in that way. And whenever you have an Oscar-winning actor wanting to be in a Predator movie, you put him in the Predator. Movie. I think it'd be a foolish thing not to not to think about it at least. And what I what I also thought was interesting is if we would have gone with an Arnold-esque look, if we would have gone with someone of that type, I think we would have been persecuted for that for for just doing that. I mean, we yeah. we didn't want to remake it. We didn't want to redo what had already been done. And and I think going the exact opposite direction was was really what it needed. It was a yeah. I think we talked about that early on as well, realizing that you know, and seeing the first movie. Hey, Arnold, as big and as strong as he was, he didn't beat the Predator. Really, <laughs> the Predator blows himself up, and Arnold looks like he's off to the loony bin at the end. You know, in the helicopter. So it's like, um, what else would these Predators be looking for? They've already fought that type, and our the whole story idea we had for this was the Predators evolve by through combat, through hunting different prey from different uh, planets, from different um, walks. And um, and that's why they would pick this group to, to learn from, from serial killers to snipers to a mercenary like Royce, to, to get a different field. You know, now, now they've been booby-trapped before by Arnold, so that's why they, later in this movie they'll, they'll know how to get around a human booby-trap because they've already figured that one out. Now they need new prey to learn new skills. So that made sense story-wise, too, not to go the route that had already been explored in the first Predator. In the meantime here, we've, we've been introduced to uh, Oleg's character, um, uh, Nikolai, as well as uh, Alitsi Braga, who was, was someone I know that initially the character of, of Izzy was, was terrifying for me, and I was always worried that it would come off, uh, the character would come off as, as a prop more than anything if we didn't really have an actress capable of making the character believable and carrying it the way she did. And, and I recall it was, uh, it was one of our conversations where you looked up and said, hey, hey, what do you think about Alitsi Braga? And I remember seeing her in a film, and I don't recall the film. I, I, it wasn't it, it wasn't really that great, but all that I, all that I remembered was her, 
how how powerful she was and just what a great actress she was. So I, I think she was one of the biggest gifts that we, we could have gotten on this film. We really lucked out because she was considering not acting for a little bit. She had to go back to Brazil and do some, some work down there and she was going to get on a plane and I said, please put her on tape because we're, we're desperately in need of somebody and we really think she's the girl. And she went on tape and we were looking at a, a postage stamp size screen on my computer because they'd put it up on the internet for us to look at. And we could tell just off of that that she was the gal. And I said, can we hire her, please? And you walked over, you looked at it, and said, here, let me see it. And you went, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was hands down, she was, she was the person for the role. No, because she was a gift. I, I know, remember, you, you, we had that fear. We didn't have it really on the page yet, that character. Yeah. And that was one of the things, you know, we had discussed. I know you had discussed actually coming up and saying, I think we should probably just drop this character because if we cannot do this character right, it just shouldn't be in there because it's going to stick out yeah. like a sore thumb. And I didn't want to give up on it yet. It yeah, no, and, and I was concept. so happy you were persistent about it because it, now I have to tell you, Izzy is one of the coolest characters one of the in the movie. Characters. And we got so lucky. And, and, and why does that work? I mean, I remember it was easy to say at the time. I said, well, we got to try because if we can do it right, you've got, you know, Sarah Connor, you've got Ripley, you've got a classic female character in one of these sci-fi action films that people remember forever. And I remember even as I said that, I was thinking, how the hell are we going to do that? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds good on paper, but let's see how I'm practicing. Concept-wise, but everyone's always tried that and very few people have pulled it off. But it's the combination of getting the right um, character written on the page and then getting the right actor to really pull it off. And man, I, I don't know anyone else who could have pulled it off like her. She really was tough as nails very human she's the she's the heart of the story and and she just draws you in and just breaks your heart you know at the same time you know and i think now that we're being introduced to the last of the this this, this crazy band of, of of travelers um you know we've since met now walt and ollie and 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 now topher as well and and uh i gotta tell you man it's just such it makes my job so easy when when you have people of this caliber yeah. with you and the things that they bring, and much like you said about Alizzi, you know, it, it, it wasn't always there on paper, and the things that they were able to interject and, and, and to elevate the characters, yeah, it, it just makes me realize more and more, you, you really are only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked casting up in a movie that's a, especially a genre picture where things are so fantastical and just out, literally out of this world, a movie like this, we're on another planet, like, you're thinking, is anyone going to buy this? But I'm already getting chills thinking about this scene coming up later when Lawrence Fishburne pulls off his helmet and starts talking. I believe everything this guy says. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I believe every word that he's saying is true. I'm there. I'm on the planet. I'm, I, I totally believe that he's hunted and killed at least two predators. He doesn't probably remember. He's probably killed ten. I mean, I've just seen it in his eyes. I mean, the, the, the story value these characters bring, that was really important. It's something that I tend to call story value is that you don't really even need to see that much or know that much about a character if there's just a few hints of who they are and the actor brings it in their eyes, you can make up entire storylines around these people because they breathe that much life into it. And Walt, we're going to have to talk about Walt, what a find, <laughs> the guy you believed in from the beginning. You know, all these actors here just brought that, you know, Louie here Louis. Who says nothing. And, except and, for and says thing. so much. Says so much with, <laughs> with his presence Isn't and his it? eyes and, and it really just pulls it off. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, Walt Walt's someone who I especially w was a fan of and wanted to to um, work with, with for a long time. But the intensity that he brought every day and just the, the humor that he brought to the film, I think, is something that we're going to always be uh, grateful for. It's just yeah. it really, he was super, man.
great having that presence there. Uh, Oleg here, I remember when we looked at his tape, um, again, a lot of these people we cast off tape because we had to move so quickly, and we'll explain why in a second. But we saw him, and I said, he looks like a Russian Charles Bronson. He's in. He's in. <laughs> and then I saw him perform. God, what heart this guy had. I mean, you yeah, could just see yeah. that he was going to bring this real pain and, and heart to this character, and uh, that was just a, a muscle-bound, almost our stand-in for an Arnold character when they originally wrote it that way. And and wow, what, what, what a performance he brings to it. And somebody was telling me that, you know, when his big scene comes up, it broke their heart. But they didn't want to see <laughs> yeah. him go. Yeah. They did not want to see him go. And that's really, uh, you know, a testament to, to the acting of this. I, I remember the, the first day, just we uh, we popped off that first shot and, and we all kind of just looked at each other after Oleg, you know, gave us his first, his first performance. And it was just that moment of realization that, oh, he's good. It's, oh, it's, man, that's awesome. he, he, he looks great, he fits the bill, but he's a good actor, so. There's, um, there's something to why we had to shoot this so quickly. And they, the studio brought me this picture. I mean, it's been a long process, and then it's been a very fast process, in that originally I was supposed to make this, um, well, I was supposed to just write it back in 95, 96. It was only a writing assignment. I was going to do Desperado as a directing gig, and I needed some get some extra money and ask my agent, hey, you know, I'm just sitting around for a few months. Is there a writing gig around town? And writing gigs are never good. There's, they're, here, lame assignment, lame assignment. Oh, Fox over has a Predator project <laughs> over at Fox. And I my eyes lit up because I love the first Predator. So I thought, I'll, I'll do that. You go write something for, for Arnold. Okay, they're going to try to lure Arnold back to the Predator series because he wasn't a part of part two. And they said, he doesn't really want to do another Predator movie, but we think if he reads a script that might be able to convince him you know so let's just start with the script and um i talked with arnold and he was like we have to go back to the jungle <laughs> none of that city stuff you know so i thought um well we can't really go back to the jungle per se without feeling repetitive but if we go to a planet another planet and have a jungle setting on the other planet then that'll satisfy both things of feeling like we're expanding the universe and um and getting arnold back in the jungle i wanted to get him back into a movie somehow that was my job so i wrote this script and uh, it was crazy. It was tons of, I think you read the original. There was tons of stuff going on. It was probably like a $200 million movie back then. <laughs> but because I wasn't directing it, I didn't have to worry. I just wrote it as big as I want. I knew they'd figure it out and cut out what they didn't want. And uh, Arnold ultimately wanted to go ahead and do um, movies that, uh, uh, other movies. So he didn't do it. And right around that time, the comics for Alien vs. Predator came out. And so they decided to make those, those movies. And I kind of forgot about this till last year, around May last year right now we're talking and it's it's um, not even july yet so this was a, a about a year process making that a little bit less it was very fast you weren't even you were hired right about now a year ago yeah <laughs> I, was I was just, hired in june i, was I think just of looking last at year my, and my thing my first draft of um of an outline from the writers that had a storyline pretty close to what we have here um, keeping the idea of the planet, Predator Planet, from my original script, uh, the crucified Predator, um, the different clans and um, the predators, the different tribes and, and hierarchy of, of, of uh, predators. We tried to keep some of that that we liked, but pretty much had to start over, split Arnold into seven or eight people <laughs> and make the movie from there. Um, I got that June 4th, uh, last year, 2009. So it was a very fast process. Um, 
for me, I felt I'd been making the movie for a long time, and I've only thought about this now. No wonder you felt so rushed. You would say, I, I need more prep time. And I would think, no, you don't, because to me, I'd been working on it 15 years. <laughs> think, How much more time do we need? But no one else had that time. So everyone, the crew, had to put everything together very quickly. We had to cast very fast. I know when we hired Adrian and Elise, Adrian was like, yeah, I'm down. I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to be able to do this role. I know I can do this role. Um, when do we start? I said, oh, well, that, well, that's the bad news. We start in a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? And I said, well, the characters just sort of get dropped onto the planet unprepared. Um, so everybody will be in character when they start this movie because that's how everyone has to begin. And uh, that's what we did. I mean, you had to, to helmet, but I'm sure you, you had to struggle with that every day with getting people confident enough to know that they can do this on such short notice. But um, that was, I think, was the fun of it, was just throwing these people into this into this whole, you know, crucible of terror. No, well, we, we, I, I felt a lot of parallels with the Royce character. I was, <laughs> I was, I was thrown into Austin and uh, I had to finish the mission. Yeah. <laughs> and it was something that was terrifying. I think it was the most, um, you know, I, I, blood in my stool, vomiting, um, <laughs> just everything you could imagine. And I also have to say that beyond the fact that you're trying to do a, a, a film based on a franchise that is one of the hugest. Mm -hmm. You know, science fiction franchises around. I, I had a barber in Budapest who had a predator tattoo, so oh it, God, it got yeah. around. It got around the world. But then also the fact that I'm I'm, I'm going to be working for you. That was something that was nerve wracking yeah. initially. I was a huge fan of yours. When I was dreaming about making films and in film school, you were you were out there doing it and 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 doing it well. And and it was something that proved when we got into the actual process. Was it was all just in my mind? I was creating this 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 paranoia in my mind. Um, I, was it the anxiety? I don't know, but but it, it turned out to be the biggest gift because now we're sitting here and I, I have a film that I directed. I'm very proud of, and it was you that that gave me this chance. So it's something that I'm always going to be grateful for. No, and, I was so, I was so happy and, that you did took it on. You no, know, it was it was an awesome experience. I could say this now because I don't have any blood in my stool anymore. <laughs> and and I'm a little calmer now because we we, we I think we, we were successful. But but it's incredible how that energy, that that frenetic madness of you have so much to accomplish in so little time and and I think that somehow translated to the to the actual film and there seems to be this I don't know, there's this this electricity about it. So I, all the all the um, the practical difficulties that we ran into, one translated to this wonderful energy, but also forced us to think in ways which you know I remember you always telling me, dude, don't turn on the money hose, you know, try to yeah, <laughs> try yeah. to try to try to do it this way, try try not to turn on the money hose, and and I always I always considered myself very very um, frugal, and uh, efficient, but. But you, you made me kind of re-investigate in, and, and take another look at that. So well, it was amazing that you took all that to heart because it, it is it just sounds like words. And in a way, it's, it's easy to say, but it's much harder to do because you, you have the challenge. You have this challenge that you had to, like you were saying, you're having to live up to this franchise. You want to deliver something good. And we're about to start. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. We're barely hiring the actors. We barely got our script together. We don't even have the predator creatures yet, and we're going into production. I mean, that's what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> but it was the only way we could get this movie made because they needed it for this summer. And it's like the, that was our mission. So yeah. it was almost like 
I know we should be very anxious about this, and I was trying to get that across my, to myself also. We can worry about it later when we're done. <laughs> right now, we just kind of have to do it, and then we can look back and go, how the hell did we do that? Because we will get there. I said, you have to trust me, we will get there. But it is going to be, it's going to be hard. And like you say, you, 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 were, you had the, the pressure of having to carry this movie on your shoulders. And as a producer, people say, what was it like to produce? Was it, is it harder? Is there more stress? And I was like, no, it's cakewalk. <laughs> I didn't realize how much easier producing is than directing. I, didn't, I, I so much appreciate directing more and directors now that I've gotten to step back and see, you know, watching you go through it, it was the strangest experience to see you there with my crew um, answering questions, sitting at your desk, because um, I, 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 I pictured myself <laughs> sitting there, but if it was like I was having an out-of-body experience seeing you sitting there like I would be right then, looking at my crew. And, uh, and I went, wow, this is so strange hearing you answer these questions that I normally would have to. I feel none of the pressure that I know you're feeling right now, because I know what that feels like, having to make these decisions and answer questions on a daily basis at well, lightning speed. And you asked, do you want any of this? I went, no, it's all for you, man. <laughs> No, but speaking to that, but but speaking to that, man, and I think one of the, you know, whether this was a conscious decision on your part or not, I don't know, but one of the greatest things you did was you showed me you believed in me and you really let me dance. And that is the biggest, and I think that the only reason you knew that was being a filmmaker, you understand how important it is to to let the filmmaker go and, and, and let them feel like, like they're in control, if, even if they're not all the time. Well, and um, it was a great feeling to, to have your trust. And that actually motivated me even more. I, I can explain knowing the two sides of that now, why that is. And it's because um, I, I would be there to offer advice whenever you need it and help and hear some ideas if you want, don't have to use them. And people would say, do you ever, you ever tempted to go in and change this or that? You go, no, you absolutely cannot because even if I were to go to ask you, you're, you have all the balls in the air. You're carrying the whole movie on your shoulder, and somewhere in your head, you've got it all figured out. Director has it all figured out. But if you go and ask them specifically, do you have this part figured out, they may not be able to tell you, and it doesn't mean they don't. So if you go and you suddenly say, well, why is that red? Or could you make that blue? They might say, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, let's go to make it blue. And then you've just taken a brick out of the thing that they've put together <laughs> that's going to fall apart later and come bite you in the ass. And you should not say a damn word. You should just leave him alone. He's got it all in his head. He's got it all worked out. Give him enough rope and to hang believe, himself. Believe the fact that he knows what he's doing because I've been there and I don't have all the answers consciously, but I do subconsciously, I think. So I totally had to leave you alone to do it. And it was a great choice to actually shoot this digitally because when I would walk on the set, I would see what you guys were doing, and I would just it looks fantastic. It looks better than anything I'd ever shoot. This thing looks fantastic, and the acting is so great, and we doing, and you're doing it. There was it was the it was the best job to have because I got to enjoy the process of making a Predator movie, seeing you at the helm, um, putting together something. You know, we went through a lot of discussions beforehand, and we weren't always making the same movie, but it was a it was a great experience to come on the set and see. Even though we talked about it and we knew kind of we were working from the same script, I'd see you approach, you know, in a scene like this completely differently from how I would shoot it. And I would learn so much. And I told you that, I think, at the beginning. Well, this is going to be great. I know you look up to me as a, as a filmmaker because I've been doing it for a long time. But, dude, you're always a film student. I'm still learning. And I'm going to learn. Selfishly, I'm bringing you into this so that I can learn more from you than you'll ever learn from me. <laughs> because, well, I don't know, uh, I don't know if that's really true or not. It's really true, but... no, because it gives you a completely different perspective. It's why I do so many different jobs. It's not because I think I'm actually good at them. I, I know I suck at all of them. But it gives you a different <laughs> perspective. 
it gives you a different perspective and it makes you better at your central job to do those other jobs and to be a producer and see you do this on the set day to day. It's why I kept trying to sneak on the set and listen to what you told an actor because it would be different from what I told an actor and, um, and the result would be different. And I wanted to learn from that as well because everyone has a different approach. And no, directors don't usually get to see other directors direct. So um, it's not like with actors, they get to see other actors work all the time because they work with other actors. Directors are very solitary. They work on their own productions. And I'm always trying to visit directors to see how they solve the same problems because um, there's no one right way to do things. Yeah. So my right way would be different from your right way. You would get uh, a great result no matter what. So that's why I didn't want to get in the way of anything you were doing because I completely believed in you. And the reason was, I think when I first met you, I just, you know, you just felt something first on a gut level. I liked you as a person. I knew the crew would, would get along with you great. I knew that if we were going to be married for, the, for a year that we made this, I, I wanted to make sure you were a cool guy. You were a completely cool guy. And, um, but I saw your, your you know, first movie, Control, and uh, I knew you were just, it reminded me of Mariachi that it was very resourceful of what you did, how you solved creative problems. I knew you had that going for you. But then you showed me a movie that wasn't out yet, Armored, where you worked with uh, Lawrence Fishburne and, you know, Jean Renault and Matt, Matt Dillon. Dillon yeah. and very, very strong actor personalities. And I could tell you just got them all to be able to work together. And it reminded very much of when I first saw Reservoir Dogs and I was so anxious to meet Quentin, which I was about to meet him at a film festival. I said, I, I got to meet this cat who was able to take these very strong personalities, put them in a room together, and be able to direct them. I was so impressed by that, him being such a young guy, and me being inspired by that as well, that I knew that, that you were right up there at the top choice because this is what this movie was going to be, a group of very strong actors. We, wanted, we hadn't cast yet, but I knew I wanted to cast strong actors, and I needed a director that was going to have the experience enough because I looked at several directors. Some I was thinking, well, should I get a first-time director or a second-time director? I went with, you were the perfect choice because you'd made several films already. You knew how to work with strong actors, and you came in with a really clear vision, which is, I want to make this movie about the hunt. I want this to be relentless, fast-paced, um, just run and gun the entire film from the moment they hit the ground to the end. And, uh, and, you were, and, uh, and your name even means hunter. Well, it depends what part of town you're in. It means idiot in other parts of town. <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> that's only Bugs Bunny world. <laughs> but he was calling Elmer Fudd a hunter. That's right. that's right. Um, but that's really... Uh, so I knew that that was just in your blood to make this about bringing back the hunt and about, you know, the, the hunting tactics. and. Yeah, I mean, well, first, being a, being a fan of the original film and, and, and loving it, I was so intimate with the material coming in. And, and then... And then uh, I think our first conversation, you know, of course, which I, I was nerve-wracking for me. I was trying to prepare for that for weeks, trying to trying to pitch this this idea to you, and and all I remember was mumbling something about the most dangerous game. But I think I think one thing I was able to get across was this idea of of, of incorporating hunting techniques back into uh, the franchise, and 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 it was interesting that there's this 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 universe uh, about a hunter, but but the actual techniques of hunting aren't aren't incorporated as much as they could have been. Right. So I think that's when we we started talking about flushing, driving, trapping, and and all these other these other cool things. You know, I, I just wanted to say one thing really quickly, and, and it, just going back to you were saying about how we were able to pull this thing off, and how we had a you know such a, a an aggressive schedule to achieve so much in, and and. You know, I really want to say the crew, the crew in Austin and the crew in Hilo, Hawaii, and the team that was there, and, you know, Yula Padosh, the director of photography, mm -hmm. or Stephen Kale, our production designers, um, Brian Bett, we are AD, uh, Jeff Dashnaw, and I'm, I'm doing everybody a disservice that I'm leaving out now, but all these people really bent over backwards to make this thing happen, and they really all went the extra mile, and, 
you know, yeah. God bless them and thank them. I thank them for that. I'm so grateful, man. That was a, that was a really cool thing. I'm going to mention the crew in a second because it was it was something for me to see again as a producer instead of as the director. I got to appreciate them more than I have on any other movie, and and I've worked with some of these cats 15 years. Sure. Because uh, because I was watching it from afar and seeing what they were pulling off in this time, you know, with you. Hey, we're here in the dog sequence. Let's talk about this just real quick. Yeah, well, it was interesting. It was uh, some of it's Hawaii and some of it is uh, just the outskirts of Texas, Austin, Texas. That's right. That's right. So it's hard to even tell what's what. We couldn't finish the sequence in Hawaii. We had to leave Hawaii. Yeah, it was actually. I call. I called you. I think about uh, which one's a, Hawaii now in Texas. Day, I can't even tell. Is this Texas? This is Hawaii, and then this is Texas. <laughs> uh, you were like, I can't. I got to finish the dog sequence in Hawaii. I said, No, we just got to come back. Yeah, so that charge was just too much money. I think we were three weeks into shooting at that point and I, and I called you up on the phone and uh, I said hey Robert you're like is everything okay I'm like yeah everything's great man so uh, you think I could get another day here in uh, Hawaii <laughs> <laughs> I was like no you can't get another day you're like they'll no. charge us for another week no matter what and yeah you were the like, whole schedule you were out. like son pack it up get home just uh, we'll, we'll finish it here something. we'll finish it here you said and uh, I remember thinking to myself there's just no way in hell we're gonna be able to finish this here uh, in Texas it's just we're in the middle of a eucalyptus forest in Hawaii. Where is there a eucalyptus forest <laughs> in, 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 in Texas? A few miles outside of Austin, in Bastrop, there's a pine forest. <laughs> there is a pine forest painted white. Um, this is a funny story. The well, that was actually interesting. We did find a forest that had a similar, the, the thickness of the trees was similar, and we were able to bring some of the, of the, of the bushes back and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and dress it pr appropriately. But there's this one moment where, where our set painter, Michael, was painting one of the uh, pine trees in Texas white to match the eucalyptus tree in Hawaii. And one of our uh, eco-conscious uh, uh, crew members uh, steps up and says, hey, Michael, is that paint okay for the tree? And Michael, without even missing a beat, turns around and goes, hey, just chill out, man. This is what I use on cows, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, oh, that's hilarious. So, um, yeah, this is the dog sequence, which was something uh, I know you worked on for quite a while to get this right in the pre-planning stage because it was one of the first big effects scenes. So far... It's been introducing the characters and then the planet reveal, revealing that they're on another planet. And then uh, I know this is something we switched around in the script because we realized let's have the attack after the planet reveal so that it's scarier knowing that these are some alien dogs <laughs> chasing Yeah, because at one point it was happening before the planet It was happening before and, and some of the structural things that we changed, it was good to move it to here. And then we could kind of do whatever we wanted with these, with these dogs, do, flushing them out. And... Um, I, I remember being specifically nervous about this scene because I had never had um, worked with, uh, you know, I never had made a film that required as much CG as this particular scene. Neither had I. I was worried too because it's uh, different. In my movies, I've always done just complete fantasy films where the part of the charm is the effects don't look that good, you know, because I don't have that much money and you just got to buy into it. And I kind of do that across the board so that when it does come up to a sequence that maybe relies on a lot of effects and it doesn't look real, you're like, well, if you made it look real, it would suddenly take away from the movie. Well, it almost complements the story. It complements the story in, in those films. And that's the, that's always my people ask me what my trick is to keep budgets low. It's like that's part of it is make that part of the conceit is that it's supposed to not look you know completely realistic. This, however, I know you were going for a straight tone. Yeah, I knew that would be much harder to pull off effects in, especially this one that was shot in broad daylight. I didn't know how it was going to look, and uh, our company that we worked with, Hybrid, just did a fantastic job with these um, creatures we built some creatures that we took out there greg nicotero and his team 
built some that we could go out and actually photograph in the light so they would know have something to match to. Yeah, and actually even some of the puppets within the stand stabbing scene mm-hmm. are real. were real. Well, the pu- actual puppets can be puppets. And um, and that's how we were able to, to get this to look good. I remember you, you showed me your first cut of this. This is the first scene we had to turn over. You had so little time to turn over a director's cut, and you just you just chopped to this with Dan. There's another crew. Dan Zimmerman, Dan Zimmerman, yeah, great Zimmerman. editor. And uh, it was a Friday afternoon, and you showed me the scene, and I said, well, let me do a few more little quick cuts here because I know we got to tighten it just a little bit more because the effects guys are going to all have a cow when they see how many <laughs> shots they have, and we're probably going to tighten it up anyway. So we tightened it up a little more, and then you just said, Wow, okay, I'm not scared of this scene anymore. <laughs> I was really worried about it because uh, it just from the pacing of it, we could tell it was going to be a good scene. But um, yeah, we well, hadn't even seen the effects yet. No. The effects rolled in. We're very excited at how it looked. No, and it was it was interesting. I mean, uh, Troublemaker has uh, three three great guys who, who um, uh, helped out initially. We had Rodney Burnett, Alex Toder, and uh, Chris Olivia. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Jabbar helped in on with the on-set, on-set stuff. stuff. He mm-hmm. was our on-set uh, supervisor. And it, it was it was just a blessing just to have them hold my hand along the process. Because every time I started to have a little mini freak out, they'd always say, no, 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 it's cool, man. You just pick up that plate and, and we'll be good. You don't need anything more? Are you, are you sure? They're like, dude, just calm down. We, we got it. It's all right. This is... Uh, we got the plate, so it was it was it was a blessing. And then uh, when Hybrid came into the process and started to show me, I recall this one day on set where they brought out a laptop, and oh man, the famous photographer's name is not coming to mind. It, were, it was a set of animals in, in profile running. Oh, uh, the, yeah, 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 I remember. Old black and white Im- Im- images, and and they brought out a pig, a, a bison. Uh, a dog. They brought out all these different animals, and they were showing us Run different cycles. gates, different mm-hmm. different running cycles. It was such a fascinating process for me, given that I had never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, reference is always key, and that was a great way to see a preview of what um, a, a run cycle would look like with them, because that was going to be the basis of the entire scene. And uh, I thought you just did. I mean, I think we just had sort of like a week talking about effects and the idea behind how to, how to approach effects in a movie. And then you were up and running. It was like the easiest film school ever. You were just, you, you learned on the job and it was, uh, and you, you had it down and it was, you knew how to make things uh, simpler. And um, any advice I could throw out, I was trying to throw out, but you were just, you carried the movie. It was really great to see. Well, that was also great just having that opportunity to call you or just hit you up and say, yo, yo, uh, do you have a sec? And uh, you were always there to help, so that was that was a blessing. But then I also had these other two great gentlemen who were basically my left and right hand throughout the film, uh, Dula Padosh, the Dula's amazing photographer, the director of photography, who just, uh, I mean, the pictures speak for themselves. And and then we also uh, had Dan Zimmerman, our editor, who was such a support system. Other than being talented and really understanding, you know, how to knowing montage, he he, he was just a super super support system, and I think he really helped us achieve this impossible post schedule yeah. that we had as well. I like the scare sequence you have here. I thought this was really well done. From the moment you showed me your location scout pictures, I thought, wow, you're really going for some creepy mood here. I'm really looking forward to seeing how you do this. And then Jula's uh, photography um, really makes it. Well, you, you said something early on to me just regarding the locations that um, you said, you know, I don't want this jungle to look lush. I don't want it. You, 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 I know that that was a concern you had early on that, you know, wherever we go, we, we, we can't have a, a, a happy We needed a really savage jungle. jungle. And I thought, we've got to find someplace like, you know, 
China or somewhere where there's scary ass jungles. But it wasn't practical with our schedule. We wouldn't have time to go. We had to go somewhere in the United States because yeah. there was no way to get everything across uh, a border somewhere. So we had to do states. And then the choice was you came back and said, dude, Hawaii is the only place we can go. I went, no, Hawaii, they'll look like they can go lay on a giant leaf somewhere and take a nap. It's going to look too comfortable. And you go, don't worry, I'll find some crappy-ass location in Hawaii. <laughs> and then you came back and you said, I found a really good jungle that no one's going to want to take a nap in. So I thought, okay, good. And then when we packed up to go on location, I was already, by that point, you know, I was tired from finishing another movie. I wanted to go relax in Hawaii. And then I get to Hilo. And I'm like, oh, no, we're in Hilo. It's not, uh, it's very not the picturesque uh, <laughs> beaches that you imagine from the yeah. postcards. It's... It was a very tough shoot there. I mean, I was worried people were going to just have silly, you know, accidents carrying equipment, like just breaking their ankles because everything where you walked um, was mud and, and vines, and it was very precarious. No, it was definitely not the uh, happy, happy jungle that, that uh, you'd want to hang out in. And the, the other, the, the great thing about it, though, is it was the, the Shipman uh, uh, family uh, property where this was shot, and, and we had uh, the help of, of the family and the gentleman, Ali, who was basically capable of building a body of water in the middle of the jungle, if that's what we needed. And it was it was incredible. Uh, again, the crew made it happen. Here we're transitioning to Texas. This is my back parking lot yeah. where I shoot the end sequence of Planet Terror, all of the end of Machete, and this. So Machete would uh, be competing for sunlight with uh, for this set because this was set was blocking a lot of the sunlight at the end of the day when we're running out of time. And we'd be like, there's the Predator set. So this thing is contained. This whole set is contained in some train cars. Um, and uh, Steve and Kayla built this. And yeah, and incredible. with real trees and dead wood and hanging carcasses. And an incredible feat, an incredible feat. Um, they, they were under the gun, I think, more than anybody in this production regarding what they had to deliver. And... Um, this thing was so big. I don't know how it, much it comes across. You could see it from an airplane. Yeah, people would see it from the plane coming in from LA. Say, hey, we saw your Predator Yeah, <laughs> flying into Austin, you could look out the air, airplane and see the set. It was and... so exciting for me. I've never built a set this big. So um, when I would take people to see it, you, from the outside, it just looks like a bunch of stacked train cars. And you walk through this little doorway, and then you open up into this. And it's like you just stepped into another planet. And we use this a lot, you know, the, the reason you would do it, you wouldn't do it just for this one scene. We come back to this at the end battle, um, and it's and it's at night in that sequence, very beautifully photographed um, with fire around the camp. And then in the sides, when they first enter, we added some other tree lines that we would use a lot for a lot of the inserts and smaller scenes. Whenever we needed any jungle pickups that we didn't get somewhere else, we would just go shoot in there. And that was just a, a great little go-to set besides our interior sets which we built inside of troublemaker studios where the interior sets are made yeah for the drill sequence for instance and others and the great thing about this i wish there was scratch and sniff movies this <laughs> this location smelled so bad i don't know what it was <laughs> the water just sitting there so long it was just these drying bones and muddy water and, and everything else and uh and i was so happy to go home at the end of the day this is an exciting scene for me to watch because this is one of the first scenes I wrote in the original draft, which was uh, the classic Predator Crucified. Um, which means even more to me now because at that time they had already made Predator 2 and they had changed the design of the Predator quite a bit. And I wanted to show the original Predator from the original movie that Arnold fought with. But it's, it means more now because they'd made so many Predator movies and really changed the designs a lot that when you see him 
it's like seeing an old friend. Yeah, you haven't seen him since Arnold's battle, and guys in Nicotero's crew had actually worked on the original Predator for some of the reshoots. They knew, had some of the original, you know, designs and molds, and they could make an exact replica of the original Predator for this uh, crucifixion scene. And um, and it's just great to see to see it come to life. And you well, did and this great. I love how you shot. The- what is scary? I mean, you know, I thought I was always fascinated by the concept that you guys had in place where you're introduced to this predator again but not in the way you would expect you're, you're 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 seeing him for the first time almost defeated yeah just stripped of his of what makes him the predator that you used to seeing and you normally fear and you see him like stripped of everything he's just practically naked just hanging there completely defeated and i thought that would be a great way to sort of deflate the idea of the predator and to show that okay whatever just hunted him is just something really badass and we're going to meet him later no, and love this kill love that kill that kill i think was born from at a point i was realizing we were becoming redundant with certain things and i turned to rodney and alex and chris over at troublemaker said guys we need some different kills and they came up with about 15 disturbing ways to kill people <laughs> And that was a good one. I like that. We looked at the drawings for that and went, oh, yeah, this is this is a good kill. And I think the idea, I don't know if it comes across because it's sort of a pretty cool idea. He gets shot with a projectile, which expands in his body, and that's where all those pins come out of and hit the ground and lift him up. They don't come from the ground. They actually came from inside of his body. So if you watch it again, that's sort of the idea that it goes with it. But, um, but yeah, the idea is just to mang- mangle him completely. So this is, this is like four or five different locations both in texas and in hawaii that's right that's right running from the camp this is still uh texas, texas but right. the hill starts in texas and then ends in hawaii that's about to come up so that was also interesting this is a great that's start. texas that's hawaii dashna and his team dashna's work they're fine the best work they've done anything i've worked on i mean that I don't think I would have ever shot this sequence, I tell you honestly, because I would have said, I'm going to get somebody killed. <laughs> oh, man. But they love it, and they wanted to do it. And look at the, the stunts here. This is all real. This is not CG. This is a camera. What is this, on the spider yeah, cam? Yeah, it's a spider cam Descender. following them down and sending them down with them. And that the right there, Jeremy, bang, that yeah, was really painful. Um, yeah, it was the spider cam rig, and, and it was something that um, I think Yula, Yula brought it into the process yeah. for us at one point and said, you know, this would really help us with some of the dynamic, more, you know, the quicker shots. Of course, you can't jump off of a ledge with a camera following a guy down unless you have the spider cam. Right. And um, and this is our introduction. This is our first glimpse at the at the predators. We have not seen them yet, and we held off and we talked about you know how far should we wait into the movie to see them, and uh, I think you decided early on that as long as we felt the presence of them at the totem, with a planet reveal with the dogs, that we didn't really need to see them until now when you just get your glimpse of them and you and you didn't show them very much which was very cool i mean i i think i would have tended to people say would you do anything different and go yeah i probably would have lingered on them way too long <laughs> just <laughs> falling in love with just how cool they looked but this was just leaves you wanting more and you're going to see them more later so i thought that was really a great smart choice I and mean, it was one of those scenes where i came in and you're already shooting and i saw you set up and i was like wow so that's how you're doing it that's a really cool idea i never would have thought to do it that way we always had that luxury though of, of having the other films to refer to and, mm-hmm. and see what worked in the in, the, in some of them and, and where some of them may have failed and and i thought um the suspense and the tension of the original was something that was lacking from from the latter films and 
And I think that was kind of the intent of trying to keep the monster in the shadows as long as we could and try to just build the mystique around it more. Yeah. I mean, that was a good thing about the last couple of Predators, which actually I never saw, but I thought, you know, we were able to look at those and say, let's not do that and let's do something else. And anyway, that was one of the concerns you had was, I don't want to see Royce, you know, Adrian Brody's character, buddy up with a Predator at the end. <laughs> They've done that. It does not work. You know, you got to find a cool way to do it. You say, well, we got to get them to help them somehow. And you said, okay, but I'm going to do it my way. I figured out a way to do it. It's not going to be, I'm not going to have them looking at each other like some romance novel. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that, that, that one image um, was something that burned into my memory forever. You were of scared to death of that. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you shot it so well. I could tell that you really danced around that one. And it works. It looked, works really great. I love this scene. This was like a brutal scene to shoot. It was freezing. Oh. You can't tell, but their their jaws are chattering in here. <laughs> and it practically it was a nightmare because when we scouted it, I think Texas was going through a three-year drought. And yep. we had this wonderful canyon with this body of water in it, but there was no waterfall. Mm -hmm. So we knowing that we had, I think, seven pages of there dialogue. Lots of water now. Lots of water now. We had seven pages of dialogue. We planned to shoot this whole scene here. So we show up the day of, and as we're walking in, we hear this... <laughs> And it's that's when we realize there's a waterfall now because apparently for the three weeks that we were shooting in Hawaii, the three-year drought in Texas had come to an end and right. it had been raining day and night for weeks. Yeah. So when we came back, there's a waterfall. The actors are looking. They, we can't even hear each other. It's so loud. And um, that was funny that I didn't I didn't realize you didn't know there was a waterfall there. I didn't go scout this with you guys because I've been trying to put this location. It's called Hamilton Pools, my favorite watering. Uh, holes there in Austin. I mean, you just go there, and it's just the it's best, gorgeous. gorgeous place. And it has a big waterfall. I mean, that's the, the uh, the great thing about it. And um, not when I scouted it. <laughs> and I tried to get it in Spy Kids one. I tried to put it in Spy Kids two, and it was just a very difficult location to scout because you have to carry all the equipment down for a mile to get there. And um, and we never could justify it because we didn't have a seven page scene to ever shoot there. It would have been like the kids popping out of the water, looking around, saying "cool," and then getting out. There was never a scene, and I think actors never look better than here. I think being frozen kind of helps. <laughs> they look really really intense, really cool. Like they really want to just get on with the scene and get on out, get well, out of there. Well, the other thing is, is we started this scene. I, I for some reason wanted to have them in the water. I didn't never. I never wanted them to come out of the water completely. Oh, so, so all this was supposed to be in the water. Yeah. So I always That's envisioned right. it that was, they were going to be waist deep in the water, and I, we shot for about a good 10, 15 minutes, or we set up for that. And I think one, the actors were in the water for about two minutes, and I started to see them turning purple. And uh, that's when we realized this ain't gonna work. <laughs> get them out of the water. So yeah, they. The reason they're like swallowing a lot before each line is because they're, they're freezing cold here. But um, great scene. Her story there is great. It's a nod to the original Predator. Yeah. Obviously, she's talking about Dutch and his and his and his team meeting the first Predator. I love this shot you got here, Louis. You're doing. He's doing his whole uh, Kurosawa. He's just so badass. cool, man. It's just it's incredible to watch an actor who has so little to say and just he he's he's just so present and he's such a badass and he's he's going to be one of the most memorable characters in the movie. Remember originally we were thinking like a beat Takashi or something like yeah. that for this type of role, and then we found this guy who was a much younger guy, but um, but had this. I mean, look at the, the old soul presence this guy had. Mm. And here's Walt. Now Walt originally, I remember one of the things in the script that I didn't care for was um, it was too much. It was 
this character sounded too much like um, Hudson, Bill, the Bill Paxton character, yeah. which we all love Bill Paxton character. I've worked with Bill Paxton film, before, yeah. and I've had Bill do Bill in my own movies right, right. because I love it too. And so I was kind of like, but we can't do that because then we're, we're going to so much length to make our own movie here. Um, even though we need a character like that, we don't want him to be that dead on. And uh, and I read, you know, what the writers brought back on that, and I just thought it's just it's just sounds too much like Hudson, yeah. and um, and you'd already cast uh, Walt, and I just thought, you know what, to get really far away from that, I think we should just get a different actor, and com- completely reconceive the part because I think they're writing too much for Walt doing, doing Bill Paxton, and that's not going to work, and um, and you said no, but wait a minute, Walt's a really fantastic actor. You don't know his work like I do. I I never seen The Shield. I yeah. was never got caught up into it enough to watch it and once I missed it I just never caught on the train so I never got to see his work in that um, and I'd seen some clips but I never really got a good sense of him like you knew him and knew what he could do and so you said let me fly him down to Austin you should meet with him and just see talk with him about it first because we've already hired him and I, I just really believe in him any part that we change it to be he can be that so I said, all right, bring him down. And I, I, I wasn't feeling that in. <laughs> and you totally proved me wrong. He walked into the room and he just went off and created this character in front of us. Right in there. The room. That's he, right. He came up. We said, you don't want that part? Okay, I'll give you this part. How about yeah. this? How about this? How about How that? you want it? And I said, that, he's like, he's the director's dream actor. To come with you with that many ideas and be that free-flowing was just wow, why are we rolling the cameras now? And I thought <laughs> that was just his audition, but no, he does that all the time. No, he's, he he's a like rock star. The whole time. I, I call him the thief because he's just a, a scene stealer. Totally. Totally steal awesome. the scenes. And you could just like, whenever we needed anything, script-wise, we'd go, you know what, you just throw that line to Walt. It'll yeah. make something out when of it. When in doubt, go to Walt. <laughs> It'll make something out of it. This, this thing was really interesting, too, because it, this is something that was in your original screenplay. And, and for me, it's what really helped expand this universe even further and that was the introduction of something else being hunted other than the humans right so when you saw the little creature bugs earlier from the cages it ties into this creature here which was the and you had a great design for him and you called him originally i think the river ghost and i liked the whole concept of this and how you tied this into the story i have to just give you you know a real um you know Congratulations on how you did this. I mean, you really streamlined the script. There was a lot of ideas, and you tied things in together really well. Everything flows into each other really well. You you took some of these ideas, even from my old script, and put them in here in a way that fit into your new ideas, keeping it um, to where the reveals came at the right time, and you really paced out the picture really well. I mean, you're, you're tying in this creature that was in the cage. He's now bypassing their traps, and now you're going to reveal that it, it helps expand the world and that there are other things being hunted on this planet. But that, for me, I mean, that, that element, and, and that was present in that 94 draft, was, was for me, that, that was the catcher. That was the thing where I said, oh, my God, this is a safari planet, and it's not just humans. It's, it's everything. It's the nastiest things from around the universe. And I, I really grasped that initially early on, and... and um, for me, it's one of my favorite moments. I love this, how you shot this. This is with your spider cam rig. You had a, the camera on a wire flying through the jungle. Yeah. I love all the aiming here. It reminds me of a scene from Jaws or something. <laughs> it's stage. And and, and Eula, Eula was, a, again, a great help here. I remember the whole thing with cutting back to the actors. Come on, come on, come on, and just trying to build that suspense. It, he really inspired me to uh, to take it that direction. A great so. Topher line here. Fuck all you. All of you! <laughs> um, there's the... Uh, and then the reveal... Here, I just like the structure that you did. You cut right to 
this being um, how you get into the character of uh, Nolan? They shot it. She shot at it, but missed. I like that that whole that whole thing. I remember in the script you were struggled with you know what the writers put together, and you put your own spin on it, and you fix this to really work, where you weren't buying this this uh, this section, and you trimmed it down, and you and you made it where she says, um, "Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I, missed. I missed," and then this look of dread <laughs> on their face, and then the. This amazing review. I know this was one of the coolest things you brought to the picture because you worked with Lawrence Fishburne on Armored, and you guys were, you know, great friends already. And uh, you mentioned him early on. We were trying to find someone to play um, the scavenger. You know, this. Uh, and this was this, was this your story concept? This whole idea of this character. Well, it was something you told me I, that you that you wanted this character. It, it was something this that this guy who would lure like the the witch yeah the know, witch inviting the children mm -hmm. into the into the oven it, it was something that there was a conversation early on and and I think we even had it at one point and, and I know the writers and I also uh, discussed it but we we knew that that we needed this we needed to hand the viewers some more information and and I and it's always dangerous to throw it into a character and say that the character is going to show up and answer all the questions at the right moment and and clearly that was that was we didn't want to take the cheap route and but we knew that we needed to get some information across and 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 we also needed an important moment of pause in this mm -hmm. in this 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 craziness that's yeah. been going on since minute one and um and you need someone of mr fishburne's caliber man to pull it off that's a great way to reveal him there and he had this idea you had this idea with this with that you could borrow from different uh putting these this whole outfit together it would be part predator helmet part samurai helmet part anything that was there from other creatures from other things from other planets from other pieces of history from other pieces of parts of time yeah so uh he's he's got it all and he's got this amazing presence he can just... he can make the most mundane thing interesting. I, I remember in, in this in this in a film we did together, he took a box and took it out of a truck and put it on a loading dock, and he made that cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like and what was great about this is that we're going into this whole sequence where the actors um, are playing characters who are listening to this character named Nolan telling them about his adventures on this planet and kind of what to watch for, and they're they're just you know, at the edge of their seat, getting any information they can on how he's done it. And it wasn't hard for them to act because they're sitting there as actors listening to this great actor speak. And so as soon as we call cut, we'd be offset. And then the scene would be replaying, only it'd be in real life. They'd be asking him questions about all the movies he's been in. Oh, yeah, and they'd be <laughs> looking at him with that same reverence. <laughs> that same look. And the same, yeah, that same. So it was, uh, they're, they're being real. We were all just, just sitting there on the edge of our seat listening to him talk. And here's your drill bit. We had a drill bit idea to just show other structures, other pieces of, you know, things of ships or other things that have landed on this planet just to kind of expand the universe a little bit. Again, it didn't. you don't need to show very much. I mean, we just show that and then you can imagine, oh, there must be other stuff laying around the planet that we're not going to see maybe until another movie. Yeah, no, and this concept, um, you know, whether it was uh, Alex or, or, or Kayla or Steve, I, I don't recall, but I remember in the earlier drafts there was a, it was a cave uh, originally and... I kept on seeing coconut bowls. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And like, I remember you know, that's right. You said benches carved out of like stone and stuff, and we were just like, "Oh my goodness!" And I and I, it was it was um, someone at Troublemaker said, "Hey, what if there's this de derelict machinery, and at least it could?" The original concept was that we keep one side the cave, but it was the exterior of this machine mm -hmm. that would give us this cool look. 
And then I remember uh, running into uh, your office going, dude, we should just build, put the whole thing in the drill. We should just make it a drill and put the whole thing inside. <laughs> and, and you were looking at me going, what are you talking about? Well, this is uh, going to be way too much, way too much money. There's just no way. And the people at Troublemaker made it happen. They made like, this is a, the smallest little set. It's not even a set. It's just like a... It's like half a wall turned on its side. Turned on its side. It's just, and it's... When I even look at you look at it as I said, you go, is they really going to shoot in that? But because Jula lit it by flashlight, you don't what you don't see, your mind fills in. And uh, I remember that was one of the things I warned you about right there uh, when you were talking about the sets for this. They were going to build because I saw the plans. They they all had grand ideas. Now, oh, now we get to build this huge drill. And I was saying, dude, I'm going to tell you right now what happens. Don't let anybody get carried away. These guys are good guys, and they're great at what they do. They're going to build you the Taj Mahal. They're going to build you the sets you have left to do. And I'm telling you, you're going to regret it having all that set because we're going to get to the end of the schedule when this is scheduled for. You're going to be out of time by then, and you're going to see the set and you're going to say, "Oh no!" You're not going to say, "Oh cool." You're going to say, "Oh no!" Because now you got to light it. Now you're going to have two seconds to get a performance. And if there was no set, you wouldn't have that problem because you'd be forced to shoot it with a flashlight. <laughs> so tr build the set that looks like. And I pointed at an air conditioner and said, "Build a set that looks like that." So you're forced to not light that thing. And, um, and so we met, we met halfway, and sure enough, even though we had some partial sets, we got to those sets, and you're like, oh, no. Can't shoot <laughs> even it. With, even with the small set, we were like, oh, no. And we just had to fly through them because we were just out of time by then. But they did so much with so little. I mean, these are very small sets. They yeah. gave us this is their this is their small version of the set. And look how amazing it is. And again, it's, it's Steve, it's Kayla, it's, it's their whole crew, you know, all the people that really just but bent over backwards to make it happen. And then Eula and his team uh, just, just lit it just beautifully. Yeah, it looks fantastic. And um, and when I walk in the set, I went, wow, this is a tiny set. They really did take it to heart and make it really small. But look at this. He just does one wide shot, and it looks fills the frame, and it looks huge. You, you think that it's bigger than it is, but that's really all. That's the entire set right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> really great work. We'd have, to, uh, we'd have to move over half of the, uh, the, 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 the set to get to the other side. You know, when you're shooting <laughs> right. one direction, you have to pack everything to the other side. This is all there at Troublemaker. Just all these sets are just stacked right next to each other. And uh, great atmosphere. There's a lot of smoke, a lot of uh, just great low light situations. And I love this thing that Lawrence did. He added this idea of having uh, himself talking to a dead friend there. Well, and, and, and the madness, it was so interesting how he, that, that was born. I remember we had an early conversation and he was trying to find the character and he was saying, you know, what if, uh, what if it's, uh, you know, some, some sort of dialect? And I said, well, you know, we already have a character kind of doing that. I'm not sure we want to take, he may feel uh, redundant. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. He says, uh, well, what if we, uh, you know, maybe I can <clears throat> be pitching my voice a little and do something with my... And I said, well, we actually have a character doing something similar to that, and, and I'm scared. He goes, all right, all right. He goes, well, what if I'm just crazy? <laughs> <laughs> that is he had so much fun doing this, too. I mean, because he, he's been doing uh, the CSI thing, and he said, yeah, I'm doing CSI, and that's great because, you know, you got you got a character and you stay with that character, but this is fun. I'm here just for, you know, he's here, what, two days? Yeah, two, two and days. And he plays yeah. something completely out there. And you can tell he's just having a blast. And again, you're hanging on every word that he's saying. And this is such a great idea because I think originally we had a character similar to this, but it was we thought maybe we should have a, this kind of character with him the whole time that can kind of give him information. And you, your idea of just making it one guy that shows up here at this point I think was great even for the audience because now 
we're getting to hear things about the predator culture and and more of the legend that we're hungry to hear, just like these characters yeah. are. We yeah. want to hear more. Us having seen this movie since you know the, this series since 1986, and now getting new information, it's like yeah. gold. And, 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 <laughs> Any and, new information is is just. And look at the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the storyteller is Lawrence. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's it's you know it's such a trip when I when every time I, I you know just you 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 work with people who you look up to and who you admire and 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 you always want to do a good job for them you know you always want to make them proud and you always want to make sure that they're they feel they made the right choice be it be it you hiring me or be it Lawrence saying all right let's do predators and and I just find myself like every time I I work with him I'm always so nervous so nervous like oh I want him to. I want him to give me the great performance, but I want him to enjoy it too. I want him to be having a good time, and and it's uh, it's probably great to see see him having such a it's, great it's, time. It's great. Thirty yards, their camp. It's incredible how um, this entire set is saturated with with these incredible props. Tommy Tomlinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the classic Tommy. Classic Tommy. Tommy being uh, the original prop master on the original Predator film. Yeah. Die Hard. I mean, when you list off the movies that he's oh, done, well, he's we're like, wow, you mean you handed the flicks. gun over to? Yeah, I kept on going up to him. All right, so tell me, tell me, what, what was what happened? What did what was McTiernan like, or what happened on the set, or what was I was picking his brain for stories? Oh man, he would show us a prop, and he just he had this great smile on his face, like, okay, that that sword you need, or that gun you need, and he would hold it up, and it's like, where did you get that? <laughs> he just had the most amazing props. Yeah, can do attitude. It was a really really great. Really great find. It was great. Brought him in. Classic, classic person. Um, I guess part of it I wanted to talk about was just the process between you know people. You know, asked how, how do you guys work together, and you know I've talked about it a little bit, but um, I think it was just really it was really that. It's it's almost like when you cast for me a, a good actor, you just they're in character. You were in character for the movie, and it was it was terrific to see. You asked questions early on about how, how to do certain things uh, effects-wise, but um, you handled, you storyboarded everything, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I we made over, uh, I did over 100 pages of storyboards, yeah. and, and I tried to storyboard everything. I I even storyboard a straight dialogue if I have time to, just because I, I want to have that, that crutch with me. And then on the floor, you could always go a different direction if you... You have so many great ideas that come to mind on the floor. You have your DP and your actors who also just throw out all these great ideas. So you do yourself a disservice if you don't don't listen. Yeah, you did some really great planning. I, I loved seeing you sitting there every day doing my storyboards, doing my storyboards, doing my storyboards. Like, damn, I, I don't do all my storyboards anymore at <laughs> a time. And, uh, and it's just a great discipline because I'd come and see you pull off shots that you could have only gotten had you pre-planned them and talked them out with everybody and everybody's ready. You can't just do some of these things on the fly yeah, and yeah. Um, and get that same result. So that kind of pre-planning, you know, I just seeing you take that on, knowing how short a time period you had, you really came in this prepared. And uh, that was admirable. I mean, just to see, you know, I think I think most people would have given up just knowing how much little time they had. They're going like, okay, we're just going to have to wing this. No, you didn't wing it. You went in, and this was all very purposeful. You really planned this out, and you really figured this out. Well, and that, that again, goes back to just you giving me this chance and trusting in me made me want to work harder and makes me want to go even further. So it's always, it, it, it's it's that group effort, and, and you know, our dynamic was, 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 was really like I said, initially intimidating for me because I, I didn't know I, I didn't know what to expect and, and um but being being there and always being an ear and always being available and 
always having that that chance to turn to you. That was something that a lot of filmmakers don't have the luxury of, you know, calling up someone who was um, who who's done it, done it for a while, and has done it well. You yeah. Know, so I think I think a lot of it is the intimidation of when you don't know me that well, you just look at my credits and go, okay, this guy likes to do everything on a movie. Is he going to step in here and start telling me where to move and put the camera? I think that's what people might have in mind, and uh, it's like, no, I'm very collaborative. I love other people bring in ideas i welcome when somebody has a better idea hey man take it i'll take i'll take that idea yeah and you bring and, the best um, out of them by doing that yeah they just they want to make you happy they want to see you say i, I say very little when I, when I compliment somebody i just say cool and that's the best thing anybody can hear <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah. how's this it's cool there you go. all right terrific and uh i almost wished because during the pre-production of this i know um it was a little nerve-wracking going into because on top of it you didn't need to be worrying about What's it going to be like when we hit the the set? I'd wish we'd almost done a screen test of one of these actors just so you could see how how free flowing and easy it is. Because uh, um, then I think you would have taken a lot of the pressure off. But once we started going and you saw that you were just getting to do your thing, it wasn't even a question that it, this was your movie and that you were directing it. And I was just love. I mean, from day we started with that, with him hitting the ground. That yeah, was the first shot not. we got. Him hitting the ground. That that opening scene. We started off with great stuff and. Uh, and people ask how much were you on set. I didn't. I wasn't on set that much. When I would come to set, I would get there and I would say, "Did you shoot this part already?" And you say, "You did." I'm like, "Oh man, I missed it." I, mean, I would. I would feel like I wish I could have been there the whole time to see these things as they were being recorded selfishly. I got to come peek at this scene before you. I, I remember sitting there like a little kid with a big smile on my face because I got to sit in and listen to you directing them, and um, seeing how you talked to them, and how you got this performance. Um, I didn't do that a lot because I, I didn't want anyone to feel self-conscious that there was another director sitting there listening to private conversations. But you let me do it on this one because I think one you didn't even see me there because I was hidden in the, <laughs> in the in the in all the other crap that's sitting around there. Oh no, I saw but, you. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, well, then you probably saw the smile on my face. I was I was just so impressed with how you talked to them and uh, and how you got this out of them. It's my favorite shot of Adrian. This is a great scene, and um, she's just terrific in it. And it was an important scene. Well, it's so funny, you know. You got Adrian Brody and Alizia Braga, who, who are probably some of the most talented actors you're ever going to have a chance to work with. And you know what I always find fascinating is they give these incredible performances, and you know, Alizia especially would she'd always come up and go after, you know, people would be in tears behind the camera, and she'd come up and go, "Was that okay? <laughs> Was that okay? Go and do that again. I could do it again. It's no problem." It's and I was like, "Come on, Alizia, it's awesome." What's so cool about a scene like this, I mean, it's a quiet scene. You know, you look at this, and probably any other director would have taken a day to shoot this, and you know, it'd been all about this scene. It's an important scene. No, you had ten minutes. <laughs> this was near the end of the schedule because, again, these are the interiors, yeah. and the interiors are the last thing you shoot because they're cover sets. And, no, it was uh, a wide and, and two close-ups. And, we and it was run and gun, and there was other scenes that we shot. And one of the things that I really pushed for was um, to stay on schedule because, um, and I've just run into this on my own movies, you always end up shooting more than you ever really need. And then you regret it later wishing that you had, oh, that was going to end up on the edit room floor. Why didn't I spend, why didn't I cut that ahead of time and spend that extra time spent shooting that thing no one will ever see? shooting the things that they are going to see. Yeah, yeah. So even as tight as we got the schedule down, and you'd say, you know, I, I think I need more time, I need more time, and I just, you know, just for budget reasons more, it's like, brother, I love what you're doing. Yeah. I, I would want you, you ain't to shoot any two more, more time. months. But we just don't have the money, and we can't go over. Yeah. Um, we really just can't. So um, we just have to make it work and just, you know, 
kiss that other version we really want to see <laughs> for a, for a, and see it on another movie because we just can't do it. And yet, at the end, we still have some deleted scenes. And so incredible as that may sound, yeah. Yeah. so we didn't even get to use everything. It's it's difficult though. I think it's, in the moment you don't see it. You, you don't. Know? Well, you and, don't know back and, then. Yeah. And sometimes you do have luxury of having a laptop and the editor on the floor with you. In this in this film's case, I know that we didn't have that luxury. Dan Dan came in relatively late in the process to start editing, but that may be something we should do. Just get the computer on the floor and just you know cut the it there. Thing, and the only problem with that, stuff. even that though, that's really hard because you shoot so out of sequence. You know, in a movie, you don't have the you're not able to shoot it in order. And so a lot of these decisions that you make in the edit room, you really need some distance from the movie having already shot it. So it's hard to that's the one of the things the director just has to battle with every day it's yeah. like am, am i going to make that call am i going to just not shoot this scene and then regret it there's times i had you shoot scenes that you knew as a director and as a filmmaker that you didn't need and i said even though we don't have time i think we should go ahead and shoot this scene anyway because i really think we don't want to have to come back the actors aren't going to look the same um if we need it and there's a, a loophole in this character coming up when we have this turn with topher in particular, you'll see the deleted scene. Of course, it's deleted because Nimrod was right. We didn't need it. But I thought better to have it and not need it than and, and shoot it. I said, shoot it in two shots, but let's have it. And uh, and it was one of those things where you go, man, that's a situation where you go, I'd rather spend that time on things that I know we're going to need. And I hated having to push you to do that because I knew that you really did need the time on other scenes. But uh, I just was, again, I even <laughs> me being an editor and, and knowing the story back and forth, I wasn't sure either. I wasn't sure if we were not going to need that or not. Well, you were. Uh, well, w one cool thing though was that once you did see it in the cut, you immediately, and and that was that was something that was really great in this process. It was never about my decision or your decision. It was something what served the film. Yeah, best. what was going to make the and, best film. And, and and that was always something that. And I remember I was thinking to myself, oh, you said to me, well, let's just shoot it, and if we don't need it, we won't put it in. And, and I, I knew thinking, you were going to think. And I was thinking to myself, stick it in he's going to make me stick it in. He's going to make <laughs> me I stick it in. Yeah. And then you saw it, and you were like, yeah, we don't even need that in there. And I was just thinking. Well, the thing is, I never so saw the happy. Scene. I, I never was... even saw the scene cut. You showed me the movie without it in it. Yeah. And uh, and then I and I didn't even ask to see the scene. I never. In fact, I still haven't seen the scene because no, I, knew, uh, I could feel that it didn't. Need, I mean, I saw the movie and it didn't need it. But I think I think like a lot of filmmakers hear that a lot, you know, from the studio even. Like just shoot well, it, and and, that, and, and, and then we'll, we'll see in the well editing the room. And, <laughs> and in this case, though, it was you were you were you saw it and you was like, you know what, you don't need it. And I was just I was I was so grateful that you were like that, that you approached it that way. I think um, so. I think that would be if you ask people and people to answer the question, how did you guys work together? I think if there was if there's any fear working with each other, it was the fear of the unknown, yeah, of yeah. what could possibly happen, you know. Yeah, and then the things would, that you created in your mind, wouldn't you know, it? Wouldn't Nimrod go off and start making his own movie that's just different and that and and be you know twenty weeks behind schedule? Yeah. Or would, would Robert, Robert come in and, and bully me on the floor bully him and on the floor or say go ahead and shoot it two ways and then we'll decide together later and then like oh, sorry uh, guess what you don't have Final Cut babe <laughs> and then pull. <laughs> And then you get locked out of the editing room, and then the studio says, "Sorry, what Rajiga says goes." You know. Yeah, that's that that's, was that's uh, the thing that you just can't explain to somebody because you know, do, what what they're, they're going to just it's a leap of faith. And that, just, that was a word we used. That's the phrase we used with each other a lot. Was like you know, we're taking a leap in faith and hiring you as the director. You're taking a leap in faith as me as as the producer, not being the bully later. We have to just trust each other and just yeah. go. And go for it. And uh, there was just some really great moments. I mean, I learned so much from this. I got to just spew all kinds of advice that 
And I told you as I was saying it, because I would have to think, okay, I've got to be the teacher here. And I love to teach. I love to teach people because selfishly, you, you learn more that way. <laughs> you learn more than your students, students learn. I mean, I just figured that out by teaching. And, and that, as I was telling you all these things to think about, I would preface it by saying, no, a lot of this I just figured out yesterday as I was coming up with what to tell you. And I'm realizing as I'm saying it now that I should follow my own advice because <laughs> it's actually really good advice. But I know I don't even do this myself, but I should. But I'll go ahead and tell you so that maybe you'll pull it off. Maybe you'll do it. Take the advice and you'll, and you'll find it useful. And I know I need to do that more. And I would give you this advice. It always was very, that you could see it uh, from a producer's standpoint. That's sort of the gift of being able to step back and do this job was that I got to learn a lot more about the process because I was looking at it with a different set of eyes. And, uh, and then seeing you figure out these problems that I would normally have to be solving in the trenches, you don't get a view of the trench from in there. And I was able to look at it and see, oh, now I see what he's doing, and now I see better what my job would be next time I go make a movie. I'm, I'll be a much better director in the next movie having seen you do this. I mean, for sure, for sure. I mean, that really, really helped me a lot. You know, you know what was incredible? Again, just going back to this scene, this I think was something that we, we came up with relatively late in the process of, of was once the drill sequence was tweaked, we, we had to kind of readjust it. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that we were able to slip in this little moment of tension of Topher getting a little broke away from the group and, and getting lost in the drill. And, and again, it was going back to that almost classic horror film kind of element of keeping the monsters in the shadows, trying to build the suspense as much yeah. as we could. And you had this great idea of him throwing the flare and hitting him, and he comes out of the darkness. That was really cool. I liked how you did all of this. Going back to that, by the way, I mean, I remember also, you know, I showed you that 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 first pass in the cut that we did, and and you 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 came back the next day and you had a really specific list about ideas, tweaks. Um, cuts and 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 you know we were going through this list with Dan Zimmerman, the editor, um, the following day, and and we started to um, to uh, we opened up another timeline in the cut, and mm -hmm. we started to try out all these things that you uh, you offered up, and I think it was like you know of of of, of all the ideas, I think that there was 95 of the ideas were were, were things that I was completely. Um, I completely agreed with, and I thought that it just it, it made the film better. Mm -hmm. And then I remember there was like a few points that I, I either didn't quite understand, or I was a little bit uh, nervous for whatever reason. I didn't think the performance had it, or I didn't think we had it in the footage. But I remember writing this really, really, really long letter to you, saying, <laughs> and it took me like an hour to write, of oh, going right. like, okay, the, I did all these, and I agreed with all these, and these definitely helped. But but here were a few things that I I, I was concerned about, and I and I then I went ahead and, and wrote paragraphs explaining why I didn't want to go down that route. And I remember you wrote back two lines, yeah, bro, cool, use whatever you think works and dump the rest. And I just thought, <laughs> God, I hope it's like this for the rest of my life. You know, it's just like that's that's the big biggest blessing right there. Yeah, no, I mean, some of those things are just ideas you throw out, and if they, if they, if they work for you, you use them. And if you don't see it that way, it's really, like I said, it's, it, it worked for me both ways. It was just sometimes you give suggestions, and it's really, you're the director. It's just like an actor might come and say, hey, you, how about if I have a gold tooth? And you're like, yeah, no, good idea, but maybe on another movie. <laughs> hey, you know, let's try for an idea.
But uh, no, I love the staging of all this. You had a great idea of them coming out here and having t all this atmosphere flying around that everyone's practically choking on. I don't know what they had here. I well, that was that was really interesting, actually. That was uh, Yula and I were watching Alien mm -hmm. um, just uh, right before we started, and we were just thinking about this this great scene when they landed on the Alien planet, uh -huh. the original Ridley Scott film, and we wanted to just replicate something that was similar and and, and creates a, a tone that was just as violent. And these these particles in the air was. Um, it's safe, apparently. Mm -hmm. they, they say it's made out of, I think, what they make cornflakes out of. Right. And everybody on set was saying, well, cornflakes is great, you know, to put in your mouth and eat, but we're breathing this stuff. What is this stuff going to do to our lungs? Right. And, and there was no problem with the stuff, but it was raining outside. And, it, and we discovered that the stuff in the air and the rain, they don't, they don't mix well. Right. It turns into super glue, yeah. essentially. So you wonder what it does in your stomach with bad <laughs> milk. <laughs> it was your feet would come out covered in. in I said, "Is this black sugar? What is this on my feet?" Oh man, I could I could kick in a car window with that stuff that was caked around the when shoe. When I first walked into the set and I was trying to get some off my boot, you went, "Kiss those boots goodbye." <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. You're getting that stuff off. You burn it off or throw it out. So that's look at it. it. Like, look at he's got it in his teeth. He doesn't care. Walt's just like oh. eating it up. He just loves it. There it he is. Hey. We feel ripped up a spine. This is our big spine rip. Yes. I think Walt's partner, beautiful, beautiful partner in life, was, was on the set the day he got his spine torn oh. out, and she had to sit there and watch the whole thing. Now that we did all this, we the reveals of the, of the predators, and, and you just you don't see them enough to go, ah, oh, man in suit, you know, so it's good. I mean, we just get a glimpse of them, and you get to see the different looks and we had three different predators we had the uh the one in front with the jawbones mr black we call him mr black he's the badass here's the falconer he's the one who had the falcon on his uh shoulder on his shoulder that would go flying around we were like should we have it on his shoulder should we have it on his arm is it too pirate like if it's on his shoulder i don't know it just looks cool on his shoulder and uh and now he's um we had a whole uh, extra sequence that we just didn't shoot. There was no time to shoot it and we we're hoping that we wouldn't miss it where um they actually take out that falcon that's searching for them, and it happened around around this part. And it's cool that it's not there because it goes right into the sequence, which is the your your probably your. And oh, this is a good place to also mention John Debney's music. But anyway, let's go into this cue right here is actually the Billy's last stand in Predator One when he's on the log. Billy, yes. the, Billy the Indian cuts himself across the um, the chest. Here's the same music cue, but done with a. Uh, with this uh, Asian twist to it. Yeah, and this time you see the fight. And now you see the fight. And yeah. uh, we put that music in as Tim, because originally it wasn't a music. I said, hey, let's try that music here. And we tried it, and, uh, and we went, okay, this is it. Oh, I remember, I remember, like, uh, just freaking out. I think that was what perfect. exactly happened. You'd already cut the scene, and the music just laid right over it. No, Debney was, was a huge gift. Again, someone who you had collaborated with a few times in the past. and uh, Four or five movies. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, coming into the process, um, it, was, it was something I was nervous about, clearly, not having worked with him before. And, and immediately I, I, I realized this is, this is a guy who can, who can pretty much do anything. the amount of um, the different styles of music that he's able to create. And the other thing that I was really taken aback by was just how I was excited again watching scenes with his music that I had seen a hundred times before. And the second his music was on it, it just it took it to the next level. Yeah, that's the, that's the best one. You can finally say, okay, I'm no longer in love with the temp score. Now I love the original <laughs> music. Thank God. And uh, one thing John was really excited about too is I hadn't I didn't ask Fox until somewhere midway through the shoot because I was afraid 
to get the wrong answer. But I finally said, you know, are we able to use any of the original Predator music or, is, or can we not? Or how does that work? And they said, oh, no, we got the original music you can use. You can use it from, um, in fact, we even got the charts. <laughs> it's just like we're, John's eyes lit up, too. We're like, God, we got the charts of original you know, Alan Silvestri music where they're going over the, you know, the uh, sheet music and checking out what he did. And, and it's amazing. And we got to use that in different points in the movie when we show the classic Predator or like in moments like this when you want to bring back the feeling of the first film and just even update the music a little bit. It really, it's so timeless and it's so classic. It's like a Jaws theme, you know, yeah, it's forever. so recognizable. And uh, working that in just really brought the movie up to that Predator, made it felt like a Predator movie. these things here work together so well this is that little set we had there at this yeah this is just the right outside the hunting camp it was that i don't i can't recall how how big it was but you could throw a football across it it wasn't that big and uh it's amazing how, how this these scenes have come together because we worked it seemed like we worked and worked on these scenes so long script stage and and then throughout the process different versions we would try we'd edit together different different lines and cuts and trying to get this moment to work and knowing the scene was important, and at the end of the day, it works re really beautiful. It's probably people who say, what's your favorite scene in the movie? And I think it's this scene here. Uh, it's, it's just performed fantastic. Um, it's something that when you read, you go, okay, is this really going to work? We really were conflicted with, is, is, is Royce just going to be too unlikable that he runs off? Mm. It just seems like he's going to be a you know, total chicken shit, just taking off, leaving them here. and not. Is it really going to come off like he's... You know, it just sound like he's just too selfish. Does he become unlikable? Is this the point where he just turns and the audience turns on him? Mm. Uh, it, sometimes it would read that way. And that's where you're, again, you have to trust that under the right direction and with the right actors, it, it doesn't come off that way at all. No, and I, I also want to just, just comment on Topher's performance here, too. I think that he's he's someone who, who uh, throughout the entire film, was, was able to really carry his own with, with, with a bunch of very talented actors and, and, and interject something into the film that the character, again, could have been this, this... It could have gone the wrong way, and I was just really impressed with, with what, what he did. Alicia right there, that line's the heartbreaker. What is it worth? Yeah, she does. It's so fantastic. I didn't tell you that, but when I was first watching this, he showed me the rough cut. I was like tearing up, going, "Wait, what am I doing? Tearing up in a Predator movie? What have I not gotten sleep or something?" It's like I can't, I can't let the lights come on. These guys see see her break my heart like that, and I thought, "Wait a minute, wrong movie. What's going on? I'm not supposed to be feeling that." But it, that's what the magic of I think this movie is for me. Why I love this movie so much, and I'm able to watch it. I think I've seen this movie more than any of my other movies through the post process because of a. Um, with, with the editing and, and with the effects that we'd have to keep cutting in and, um, I was the effects supervisor so um, I had to um, make sure all the effects were going to work together and line up and then uh, working with John on the music and then I'm the sound mixer so I would end up seeing well I guess they're my movies I watch them a lot um, in the mixing stage but 
it was odd how much I saw this movie over and over again. I never got tired of it. It was so fun to watch, and the performance is so great. And this is like one of my favorite scenes too. Is I went off this planet. Oh, just the way he's. I mean, you told me I missed shooting the shooting of this. I missed this moment. I wanted to be there for this moment because I knew this was the one you were most afraid of. And just as a producer, I wanted to be there to support you for this. Well, it's that and it's look, that potential buddy back, moment. Yeah, that you want to avoid. the way he reads this. I, I went off this planet. I just love that line reading. He sounds so badass. Yeah, this bread pill file. And I, and I, and I was cool. like, oh shit, I wasn't there, man. I'm sorry. How was that scene? Did it come off? And you had this big smile on your face. He said, I think it's really cool. It was. It really came out good. Agent was great. He was just on it. And um, it doesn't feel like the buddy thing. I mean, you really got around that, and it feels great. And you keep the predator scary, and you have him grab him at the throat in a, in a really nice, a strong, it's going to fuck you up way. <laughs> no, bro, and you know, it really just, again, it, Brody carried it. Brody was able to sell it and just make it work. And it, that's, that's the thing where as a filmmaker, you read a line and you go, oh, my God, I hope this is going to work, you know, and, and you, you just, you can kind of imagine the shot and you could imagine what you're going to be asking, asking the actors to do, but it's really when, when they start interjecting their magic. And Eula gave me that awesome close-up, so it was... I just sat back and watched the magic. It was awesome. Yeah. This effect became uh, one of my favorite in the film. It's so she says, uh, "We're not dead yet," and and as the the sound effect of the thing comes up, there's this no. Wow, it's cool. really terrifying. That's cool. Clever scream here. It's in the trailer. Nice. That's a great movie scream. She does it all. Alisi. That's off to Alisi. Hats off, man. We were throwing her down lava rocks. She was cutting herself up. She's amazing. She'd come and I'd see this. Her finger is like all screwed up. Her nail was black and it was like practically ripped off. And I was like, wait, what happened to your hand? And she was, because she was talking a lot like she always does. And she goes, talking about pineapples usually. Oh, I love pineapples. You just eat the pineapple and everything will be better. And then I said, what's wrong with your finger? She said, oh, this, that's nothing. I just cut my finger. But it's okay. It's good for the character. It's just so lighthearted. I know. Everything was just easy, breezy, Brazilian attitude. It was she awesome. Was so and that, awesome. that work ethic. her. Work that, ethic. Uh, hard, hard, hard. I want to carry the real gun. It's be good for the character. Everything yeah. good for the character. It's just unbelievable. She was just, I uh, just want her in every movie. She's just so awesome. Yeah, if I if I had to use her as my lead actress in every film for the rest of your life, life, I'd be cool with it. Like, oh, cool, okay. And then this sequence is just one of those things where you're like, okay, how do we get these guys not to look like the same guy, even though they got different helmets and people who know what the original Predator looks like? And, uh, and that was a tough thing to crack, and you came up with a really great idea. And I probably never in a million years would have thought of. In fact, when you mentioned it, here I was just looking at the ticker tape of money going, mm, I don't know if we should add effects yet. Uh, I don't know. When we ended up being under budget, so we ended up having the money to go do this idea you had, which was, it was have the, him on the, the fritz. Flicker. The yeah, flicker. The fritz. So that when he gets hit, um, we can tell even in the dark, because we needed this dark, moody lighting, um, because we just didn't want to have it lit up. Julia's idea was great, a great one, um, just to keep it very moody and uh, just lit by some firelight and uh, be able to tell the difference between them. So you always see, there he is, as you always know where he is. I yeah. It was really well done. Well, and it was also so, it just felt organic to the story, being yeah. that he had been so messed up and his devices were laying in the mud and there was probably some crazy battle that ensued that we never saw. Mm-hmm. And then just to tell you know film students how it goes, Nimrod had no 
big effects experience coming into this movie. And by the time we're doing this sequence, he's like directing all the effects, telling them, like, you know what, you know, see this little figure here? I think we need to get a little search here. I mean, he, he, you'd think he was a vet of, of 20 effects movies. And um, it was really amazing to see the learning curve and how quick it could, it could happen on a project. And that's why when people say, I want to make a movies, what advice do you give a filmmaker? I say, just start making them because you learn so much by doing, not by, you know, you can take classes, you can read books and all that's great. You can watch films, but really on the job, doing it, solving problems on a daily basis. And then I don't call them problems, actually. We try to call them challenges. Yeah. If they're challenges, there's never problems. You know. How do you solve the challenge? And you figure it out creatively and uh, like that. You know, Nimrod had a very creative uh, you know, um, way to fix this, this challenge. And, and that's how you learn. And by the end, you're, you're a vet, man. same choice look back on these movies that I had done in my diaries and going, wow, I'm looking at me bitching and moaning about stuff that was happening and that, what, a, what a problem to have. It, actually, it all turned out good. The energy was was completely going in the wrong direction. Instead, yeah. of, instead of putting it towards what's wrong, put it towards what can I do? And it's advice that I've tried to give. And I think I told you this um, as I went and I, and I, cause I constantly forget to do this myself. And it's um, um, a friend of mine told it to me before because I would say, God, I had this problem. This one crew member, he, he comes into me all these problems every time he walks in and, and I try to listen and I'm bitching him out five minutes into, you know, not even five minutes, five seconds into what he's saying. And then he leaves the room and I, I feel bad and then I think, okay, I'm not going to do that next time. And then he walks into, you know, just a, an extra little thing to say and, okay, here he comes. I'm not going to do it. And he starts talking and I'm like, God, and I start rattling on him again. And, I, and he finally said, well, the thing is you're, you're, you're worried about the what instead of the how. So instead of thinking what the pro instead of listening to what the problem is and reacting to what he's saying, you got to think instead, hold back and think, how am I going to react to what he's saying? Because the problem is the problem. No matter what he's saying, that's just how things are. That's not going to change. Um, how you're going to react to that is mm. how you're going to deal with that is really what the question you should be answering and where you should be focusing your energy. So when you're saying, you know, I need more time, that's me. I heard myself do that. A million times as well, I'm going. No, no, that's the what. You you don't get more time. So instead yeah, of let's figure out how to how to how, how, do, what how we do, we to do. do what we need to do, and just put the energy there, and it's going to be fine. And and uh, let's not worry about it because these were the problems we we would have begged to have had ten years ago that's when we right. had no jobs. <laughs> it's like I would love to have those problems, you know, and and those challenges, and and try to figure it out. And I would and I would try to put the energy in the right place. And uh, and you took that to heart instantly, and uh, and went back in. You shot what you needed to get, moved on, and uh, and 
you pulled it off, man. And I, and I just know what that feels like. You just are so drained of energy. You're, you're not getting sleep. You have to make sure you get sleep when you're shooting. Oh, yeah. It really and throws eat. your perspective off. Yeah. You got to eat healthy as much as you don't want to. And I'm the biggest culprit of that. You watch pictures of me in a movie. You see me thin at the beginning and around as a <laughs> beach ball by the end because I'm eating fried chicken. Anything that makes me happy, any comfort food, yeah, you're so yeah, uncomfortable yeah, shooting yeah. because shooting is the hardest. People ask what's the hardest part of um, making a movie. It's the shooting because you've hired so many people. So much money is being spent in that amount of time. Post-production, there's very few people around, and it's, it's a, you make your own schedule. But here you have an answer a million questions day in and day out, um, all day long, and a very forced, tight schedule because of the way we do things at Troublemaker. We just make you do it that way because it is humanly possible. It's just it's not ideal, and it's not usually how people shoot. Um, but it's uh, it's just how you got to do it to get the job done. We get more creative freedom that way. We're able to make any movie we wanted. Fox completely let us make That's right. this movie because we were just under the radar. We were there. They called us their golden child of a movie because we were given the same budget as the last Predator movie, which with inflation would mean we had probably ten million less than that. Yeah. Because you know we've got other bigger movies that we have to go worry about, um, that are, have budget problems. So you you do your your thing. So we had to just stay on budget, and uh, we were able to do anything. But um, and you know what? If that's the biggest challenge a filmmaker has to face, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, I, I find myself and I catch myself complaining sometimes about this or that, and oh, you know, they they want me to do this or they're not letting me do that. And I remember I, I was talking to a guy I don't recall who, but he said the, the smartest thing to me. He goes. He says, wait, let me get this straight. He goes, you make flicks? You make movies? And I, and I go, yeah, yeah. And he goes, and you, you, you get paid to make movies? And I go, yeah. And he said, uh, I don't see the problem. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> What's the problem? And, you know, I think I have to remind myself of that every once in a while. You are a good man after all. No. I'm not. This cool, I like this this sequence here. This was the thing that we didn't know we'd pull off at all. We were reading the script, and um, the character the Topher's playing, which is why we had to pick someone you know completely that you wouldn't see turning into this. And that's why people would say, "Why are they hiring Topher Grace? He's not a predator. I mean, you know, he's not a killer, and uh, he doesn't mix in with. He's not. When we had Arnold, and now we have Topher, and it's like, okay, when they see the movie, they understand. Yeah. And he's also just a, a really, he's just a great actor. He really pulled off some terrific stuff in this. I'm really pleased with what he did. There's a lot of subtlety that Topher dropped throughout the film and his performance that, you know, it may even take a second viewing to catch some of the, the more subtle details that he threw in, but they were, they were, they were great. One, some of the big conversations that I learned a lot of fr about just the process through some of our conversations with Topher, and it was interesting because I remember trying to interject humor and when to interject humor and understanding when to interject humor those those were all interesting conversations that we had together and and uh, help you know help the film make it what it was I, I i'd have to go back to show you but yeah that shot you mean i loved how you shot that when he stands up into the frame behind um alicia and adrian when he's first lifting her yes and he's yeah. saying they drugged her yeah um, that's just a great shot. And the, the look on his face, the timing of that, I thought, wow, that probably would have taken me 50 takes. You probably did it in one. No, but, uh, it was, no. <laughs> it, it, it was a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing uh, photographic moment, too, just how you move the camera, how you staged it, and how you pull that off. 
This is a great idea. I liked how they booby trapped. I love this idea. That blade was uh, your idea. That was something that I actually I was kind of reluctant to uh, to go with initially because I thought, why would he be doing that? And now now it's something that I love. Just just it it actually sells black even further. Completely disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, we decided to have these predators not have any real code and like the original ones. Like if you're unarmed, they'll probably kill you anyway. You know, yeah. or the other, or the, the classic predator at least, you know, if you don't have a gun, he probably won't kill you. But um, these guys, we just wanted them to be more brutal. So this was uh, the big shot for Adrian's first review. This is what Adrian built up for. And he, if you know Adrian, you look at this and... That's crazy. If you knew what Adrian looks like normally, he's about half that size. He's bulked up huge he for this. He bulked up huge for this and he was... Um, and for somebody with his body type, it's very hard to do that. And it was just, uh, like I said, we hired him a week and a half before shooting. So he had to do this throughout the shoot every day in the gym. Yeah, watching me eat burgers and fries. Yeah, and he's, he's sitting there eating like steamed vegetables <laughs> and chicken. And, uh, and he said, push that, all that this stuff, push it to the end of the schedule. And the end of the schedule, the end of the schedule. And then somewhere around the midway through the movie, I realized that he didn't know weather in Texas. I said, um, do you realize the end of the schedule means it's going to be freaking freezing oh, yeah. outside? He went, what? <laughs> it was so cold. It was so damn cold. It was so cold, the puddles of water were frozen Yeah, in the camp. It was the coldest winter we've had in a long time in Texas. I mean, even guys, that I, the crew that I've worked with before were looking at me like, what is this weather? Have we ever shot in this weather before? I said, yeah, but it was never this cold at this time of year. I mean, um, I mean, we've shot during these months, but it was never this cold. Our performers in the suits, uh, great, great, great actors. Uh, you know, we had um, Brian, Brian Steele, and uh, Derek Mears, and uh, these guys, Nicotero brothers. Carrie, we haven't Carrie. talked much about Nicotero. I mean, that reveal you just saw of the Predator uh, revealing himself. Um, I know even one of the crew guys, Nicotero, longtime crew members, even said, "I do not want to be part of this movie because I do not want to be part of the movie that screwed up the Predator series because you guys do not have enough time to make these suits. You're going to be—they're going to be shooting already three or four weeks and still not have suits, and we're going to be basically the first designs we get. We're going to—that's what they're going to shoot. That's going to be a disaster. And and, and yeah. then he changed his mind like the next day and said, "I got to be a part of this." <laughs> and was, so it Nicotero, it was, was it Shannon? Was it Shannon? Yeah. <laughs> Shannon worked on the original Predator because yeah. yeah. he was on the part of the reshoots and uh, he, Shannon came back on and uh, they did this amazing job they never want us to tell people how quickly they did the suits because then everybody would want everything done that fast but it's just because um, we have a shorthand with these guys they love the series they were so into making it work had tons of ideas on how to put pieces together at the last minute if need be if we needed to change anything yeah. and uh, kept it very flexible um, at one point I needed to resize an entire helmet and they just, the next day had another one down there. I mean, they were just relentlessly putting this stuff together for us. And, and it, again, seeing their passion, and that's something that I really hope comes across, a film made by fans for fans. Yeah. Nicotero, Shannon, Robert, myself, Adrian, everybody involved, we just, we all love the movie Predator and we wanted to do it justice. People, you know, say, all these reboots and remakes and why are you guys doing one and you know once you get past the the whole discussion of oh yeah studios have no creative ideas original ideas anymore that the conversations you have are actually very creative it's like how do you bring back something like this and present it to an audience in a new way yeah, what are the you, elements to keep what are the elements yeah, to drop i mean it's actually a, an amazing creative exercise to have because and you have to push yourself in a lot of ways for this type of movie 
because the last few movies weren't pleasing to audiences and and um so it would be very easy to go okay we don't have to do very much and we'll be better than that but um we set the bar very high for ourselves to be uh right up there with the original and um wanted to push it as far as we could and uh and just be as creative look that's it's just such a great reveal yeah that's an ugly mother <laughs> <laughs> and i love how you shot all this i mean this was down to the wire we're losing adrian that same day you had to go off to another movie yeah and uh I this was, was your idea out. to have the, the the beheading twice i remember at one point the studio thought maybe the studio had some notes for the movie and there were none of them were bad they were actually were all good to think about and they never forced anything on us and that's one true. of the notes was well, if he cuts um, the head off the other predator, then it seems like a repetitive beat. And your uh, you know, logic to it was, that's how you kill a predator. That's just shows. I mean, what was it that you said? You, the way you phrased it was, that was um, the ritual or... It, well, yeah, and I think that he was taking his place in the hierarchy by doing so. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I thought that that was almost uh, necessary. Yeah. And by slow... And then I think we just did one adjustment by... It satisfied both things. We kept the head cutting off their first predator and then the second one we changed it so that the head fell back really slowly so yeah. you're just wondering can adrian pull it off did he pull it off did he pull it off and then the yeah. head falls you go yes he, he and did. how satisfying it's so satisfying it becomes one of the best moments is is seeing that he actually got the head off now this is an interesting thing we had, we had a, two endings for this originally 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 mm -hmm. I had suggested killing off the girl, and then you fell in love with that idea. I love that idea. I thought it was so uh, different and, and so unexpected, and especially in Hollywood films, I mm -hmm. thought I thought that it would be the right way to go. And then I fell in love with Alicia's portrayal of the character, and I came back and I said, "You know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to kill her anymore." <laughs> and yeah, and saying, I, I was, and I remember not being happy about yeah. that, and I was fighting it. Right, that was one of those things where I said, "Let's go ahead and shoot it twice." And I said, "But I tell you, I'm pretty sure when you're shooting it, you're going to feel which one." is the right one to go, whichever way it goes. So well, and that's that's actually how it went So I think you were worried that I don't want to spend time shooting two whole endings. And I said, you know, go ahead and let's schedule for two, but you're going to feel which one is the right one as you're doing it, whichever way that is. And you're not really going to have to shoot two, but let's go ahead and schedule for two. And uh, no, and, 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 and then that happened that way. I think you felt that this was uh, the better ending. Well, it was funny. I think we, we started out shooting the ending where at least he's not there. She's, mm -hmm. she's, she's passed and he's standing there alone. And it was that, I think we referred to it as that almost Conan moment, you know, the warrior standing victorious mm -hmm. alone. And, um, and I thought that's what the film needed. And the second I saw them standing together, it, it, it felt complete. It felt like he had hope. It right. felt like she had hope. Right. Whereas standing alone, it was, you're the king of death. Congratulations. Right. <laughs> you know? I think the way we started our relationship on this movie, where it was always going to be a, a back and forth, nothing dictated, nothing either in either direction, is what allows for stuff like that to happen. Because you can even then say, well, I can say, oh, I know I changed, I know I changed it to her dying, but now I've changed my mind. I want to go the other way. You and then come back and say, well, I want her dead. And yet you feel free enough to be able to go, hey, you know what? I, I don't want her dead anymore. <laughs> no, and like and, I said, you it's not my idea. You don't idea. feel like you have it's to protect. Not, it's not your you idea. Like it's you what's best for this, the movie. I like this idea of yours. Putting the original. Oh, bringing Long Tall Sally back? Bringing Long Tall Sally back. I remember just loving that song when I saw the original yeah. film. And, uh, and that's anyway. the only real lightness that comes in the movie is at the very end. It just sort of deflates, you know, that, that whole tension that was there in a, in a great, fun way. It's... You're just, it's just been tense all the way up to now, and then suddenly, 
Party time. Hey, Mr. Rodriguez. Señor Antal. Thank you for letting me direct Predators. Dude, thank you so much for directing the hell out of this movie because I now have an incredible movie that's got my name somewhat associated to it and a, a movie that I'm probably more proud of than just about anything I've done. Oh, come on, and bro. Really, and, and I really love this movie. And uh, and now that it's part of my filmography in some odd way is just a, is a real gift to me that you gave back to me. So um, threw it to you and you tossed it right back, man, with gold all over it. Thanks, bro. Until the next one. <laughs> Until the next one. Until the next one.